the podcast for the inquisitive diver. Hey there, dive buddies, and welcome to the show. Now, you may remember a couple of episodes ago, we had the legend uh, Jeffrey Glenn on to start discussions about the topics of technical diving. And through Jeff, I was introduced to uh, a dude up in Newcastle who I had a few beers with a couple of, de- a couple of weeks ago. Now, um, Ryan Duchetel is the owner of Total Immersion up in Newcastle, and um, he's also a doctor, so um, sometimes known as Dr. Douche. Um, Ryan, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you doing? Great, mate. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I had to get the douche in straight away, right at the start. Oh, more than okay. <laughs> um, how's tricks up there? You, have you got any uh, diving planned at all over the over the festivities? Um, yeah, we're hoping to um, go and do some more local reef and wreck exploration. Um, we've got a lot of courses planned, um, lots of CCR training happening. Um, the weather patterns are making things a little bit of a pain for us. The <laughs> La Nina, um, as they're calling it, I suppose, is, you know, bringing up the winds and the swell quite regularly and it's making things sort of hard to get out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're looking forward to picking the good weather, I suppose, yeah. um, getting get out on the boat. Um, but... In between that, we've got sort of some really wonderful shore diving and things up here that are, uh, we can dive um, all in all weather conditions. So we're quite lucky that we have diving accessible to us all the time. Yeah, yeah. Much the same down here. I mean, Sydney's pretty good for diving all, all year round. Um, it's, it's only when you're a princess like me that doesn't like the cold that uh, <laughs> it kind of delays things. Um but I, I am going diving tomorrow, though, heading down to Shelley Beach just to have a quick play around with the new uh, dome port and see if I can't mess up some photos. Um, in fact, before we go any further, can you just uh, let everyone who's listening uh, know about yourself, how you got into diving, all that kind of thing? No worries. I started diving when I was 15. It was just a gift in the, um, I think it was a Christmas time present from my parents to learn to scuba dive. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of dived as a traditional holiday diver around the place with my family um, up until I started at university. When I started at university, um, I got into the local scuba diving club there. Um, Diving became a lot more accessible. I had other people to share the sort of passion with. Um, And then it really just became a downhill slope from there. Um, I started working at a couple of local dive shops Um, diving a lot more regularly, you know, sort of building my passion in the sport, I suppose. Mm. Um, I got into technical diving, um, started doing deep open circuit dives. Um, And then I met these guys who were diving rebreathers and I went, well, that's really cool. What is this? (laughs) And after that, you know, the rest is sort of history. I started diving in a rebreather. our the sort of local shops in our area didn't cater a lot for technical diving or rebreather divers and we just sort of started doing it ourselves and by starting to do it ourselves we formed total immersion diving um, with my business partner Lindsay scott Um, and then we sort of just started to support other technical divers and rebreather divers Um, and then it just took off from there you know Mm -hmm. and um so I've got to ask that you, you kind of touched on it the the attraction to the uh, the CCRs. 
But initially, what was the attraction to technical diving? Um, I, I think the my initial attraction to technical diving was a natural evolution in diving for me. Um, I'd spent a lot of time sort of diving our local dive sites and things. And in some words, you could say I've sort of dived it out. Okay. Um, yeah. And then had the opportunity to go and do some open circuit technical courses more as a way of sort of keeping my enjoyment in the sport and finding something new and exciting and fresh. Um, but at the same time, opened up a whole sort of new world of diving for me at the same time. Um, mm. You know, I became really keen on wrecks, um, you know, sort of those wrecks in 40 to 50 metres that as a, you know, a standard recreational diver you don't see yeah. much of, you know, you sort of standard seven-minute NDL dive on a wreck at 40-odd metres, you know, doesn't doesn't really allow you to see too much. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of work for a little bit of bottom time, That's isn't right. it? And at the same time, I got really into cave diving, and that's another big passion of mine. Um, so technical diving really changed, you know, changed my my life, you know, mm. changed the type of diving that I enjoy, the diving that I'm focused in, um, and is now sort of all-encompassing. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, is it, you know, you've, got, you've obviously got a technical mind because you're, well, you're a medical doctor as well, aren't you? I'm a medical doctor who can't prescribe you any drugs. <laughs> so I'm I'm a I'm a PhD trained I'm a PhD trained um, scientist. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm, what I'm angling at there was not the drugs, but the um, the, the the technical mindset. The, the, the yeah, that's right. Um, obviously, like a lot of the you know the work that I do day to day is problem solving based. Um, is very methodical, is very planned, is very organised. Mm. Um, I do like bringing that side of my life over into technical diving. Mm. Um, I did listen to your podcast that you had with Jeff and, you know, he touched on it really well that, you know, part of technical diving is, you know, really developing a, a much better understanding and appreciation for, for the diving that you're doing that encompasses its physiology um, and its effects on your body, you know, and how, you know, the things that you're doing, you know, really have large resounding physiological effects. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely a part of diving that is, is very appealing to me. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, like we were talking about with Jeff and, and obviously with yourself, uh, the, the processes and procedures that get put into place for technical diving just take that recreational diving to the next level. Um, Agreed. You know, there's no room for that kind of blase quick get your get on and do half a half a half-hearted check and jump in and it's even it's even more pronounced with with rebreather diving mm, mm. now you mentioned rebreathers let's let's get into the the weeds of rebreathers because i know there's going to be listeners out there that are probably kind of interested in getting get into technical diving and you know being on a rebreather and no bubbles all that kind of thing but for the person that doesn't know about rebreathers to hear that you breathe in the gas that you breathe out is just barking mad. And <laughs> for those that know even less, probably you'd say, where the hell's is air? You know, where's it coming from? So if you wouldn't mind, can you break down how a rebreather works? Yeah, sure. At, at its simplest, a rebreather is, um, is quite a basic piece of technology. Like you said, you breathe in gas, and instead of on open circuit where you blow it back out in forms of bubbles – 
you blow it back around into the system itself, which is where you get the closed circuit part from. So mm-hmm. in this system, there's no bubbles released. Yeah. So closed, cir- breathe, closed circuit meaning nothing's escaping from the system. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So when you breathe in and your body metabolizes the oxygen that you normally breathe, you meta- you metab- the meta- oxygen metabolism converts this into carbon dioxide, which is naturally respired. Mm. or just goes out into the air, see you later. The trees love it. <laughs> um, on a rebreather system, that that CO2 still has to be removed. Mm. So it goes through down into your, well, on a back mount rebreather, it goes into a thing called a carbon dioxide scrubber. And the carbon dioxide scrubber is basically a nice big canister full of um, soda lime, essentially, and it varies from rebreather to rebreather, which removes the carbon dioxide out of the breathing gas in a very similar way which would happen on someone on a medical ventilator. Then there's a series of oxygen sensors in the rebreather which determine the partial pressure of oxygen which is currently in the rebreather Mm -hmm. and a series of a set of electronics which then adds oxygen and changes the mix for for you to breathe it back in again. So a rebreather system generally has a bottle of 100% oxygen and a bottle of what's called diluent. And this can be air or it can be trimix or anything that's sort of related to a bottom breathing gas. Okay. And that's what gives you a mix um, at a certain partial pressure, which allows you to breathe back in. Mm. So we know that if you had a bottle of oxygen, that you can only take that to a maximum depth of six metres, which is not particularly useful. Mm. You know, lots of good diving is deeper than six metres. <laughs> so to offset that, there's a bottle that's called diluent, which dilutes the oxygen um, to an electronically controlled, um, what's called a set point, mm-hmm. a controlled partial pressure that allows you to just recycle. And then you could just continue this system on and on and off again by breathing it in, expiring it out. That expired CO2 is going back through carbon dioxide scrubber. Oxygen is being added on top to get you back to a set point, if you will, mm-hmm. or a desired partial pressure of oxygen, and you're rebreathing it again. Okay. Now, um, I'm a, I might be right. You can correct me. You're a doctor. But when you exhale, the air that you're exhaling isn't just the carbon dioxide it's the o2 as well and there's only was it five or six percent of the o2 we breathe in we breathe out again don't we that's right so you in so the normal oxygen concentration of the air is 20.8 percent and we expire approximately 16 percent so there is some oxygen that is lost in your in your body's metabolism Mm -hmm. but when you think about how much of that oxygen is then wasted on open circuit diving. Yeah. For example, that 16% oxygen is still very usable. Yeah. On open circuit diving, you're expiring that out into the air, where in terms of your rebreather, you're continuing to use that and only topping it up slightly when required. Yeah. Yeah. All very technical. But that's a that's a good explanation of the of a circuit for, for someone who's not heard of it before. Thanks for that, mate. Um so you mentioned that it's effectively a computer that's on your back, isn't it? That's that's calculating everything for you. That's right. Okay. So again, I'm playing devil's advocate, and for the person that doesn't know anything about rebreathers, 
that might sound quite scary to someone that they're relying on a computer to do the job for you. You are sort of relying on a computer to do a job for you. It's definitely not a system that doesn't take any user input. Um, a re you are the series of oxygen sensors in your rebreather tell you what the partial pressure of oxygen is in your rebreather mm -hmm. and your computer makes simple adjustments based on that partial pressure. Okay. If your partial pressure is lower than what you want it to be set at, your computer will add a, a little bit of oxygen for you. Mm -hmm. if, your if your partial pressure is a little bit higher, it will not. Mm. Um, right? Go on, sorry. But it allows most comp most um, modern rebreathers allow manual input for this. So, for example, they have things called manual addition valves where you can manually add oxygen into the rebreather yourself when required. Um, they have manual addition of diluent valves. So you can, what's called diluent flush your rebreather, um, which is if your, ox if your partial pressure of your rebreather is high for whatever reason, that may be a rebreather failure or you descended too quickly. Mm. There's a host of reasons that lead to why you may have high oxygen on your unit, but you can still flush or purge the oxygen out of your unit using manual addition of diluent. Yeah. And is the um, what's what's the major um, possible faults? Let's put it that way. What's uh, what kind of things would people learn to be aware of, and how we, you know the emergency scenarios of if X fails, what do you do? Sure. Um, the the three main issues that are surrounded with closed circuit diving um, are hyperoxia right? Mm -hmm. So high oxygen on a rebreather. Um, this is solved by doing a diluent flush, uh, more complicated ways of troubleshooting your rebreather. Yeah. You could also have low oxygen. Um, there's a numerous scenarios where you might have low oxygen. Um, and the third is hypercapnia, which is high carbon dioxide, mm -hmm. right? So for example, if your CO2 scrubber is not functioning effectively, um, there are numerous ways to deal with all of these, but the overarching, the overarching sort of factor, I suppose, is carrying what's called bailout gas. Mm -hmm. um, so your rebreather works wonderfully in terms of keeping you alive. It does an exceptional job. Um, generally, issues surrounding rebreather divers come from user error or improper following improper procedures. Mm -hmm. Um, however, on every dive, rebreather divers also carry open circuit bailout gas. So in the event that a rebreather fa uh, failure is not manageable, they can breathe normal open circuit gas to the surface. Okay. So it's pretty uh, almost fail-safe, really, isn't it? A hundred percent. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I've only, I've only ever played with a, a CCR, and you specialize in the JJ CCR, don't you? Yeah, so at Total Immersion Diving, um, I specifically speci specialise in teaching the JJCCR, which is a back-mounted, electronically controlled rebreather. Mm -hmm. um, and we also do some teaching for the Dive Soft um, Side Mount and Back Mount Liberty CCR. Okay. And why did you, why did you choose the JJ? 
Why did I choose the JJ? It's a good question. Um, and it's a question that people ask me quite regularly. Yeah. Um, the JJ CCR is a very simple rebreather. It is electronically controlled, um, but it's not overly complicated. Um, it's quite sturdy. It's often called the four by four of the rebreather world. <laughs> um, you know, mostly because it's got a thick aluminium can on the back. Yeah. Um, there are limited plastic parts. Um, I've dropped my rebreather off the back of utes and trucks and pulled it through <laughs> caves and banged it around and scraped it through things and dinged it on wrecks. And, you know, I've never really had major issues with my rebreather before. Yeah. Um, the other thing to think about in terms of what rebreather is sort of best for you and is this a rebreather I want is the general popularity of the rebreather goes a long way to determining and um, the general popularity and how common it is in your specific area mm. um, goes a long way to determining, you know, what rebreather you go on to. You know, most people choose their rebreather that they want before they seek out an instructor. Yeah. You know, often that's driven by diet, like friends, other people that they know who are diving similar units, um, people that they can seek feedback off. Yeah. But the big problem is that if you ask any rebreather diver what's the best rebreather, the best rebreather is the rebreather they own. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? So, But thinking about where can I get training, where can I get support, how many other people dive my rebreather, you know, is my re does my rebreather's brand, is my rebreather's brand reputable, mm -hmm. are parts accessible, us is support accessible. If I have a problem with my rebreather, where can I take it? Yeah. All uh, really crucial, important points in, you know, is this rebreather right for me, I suppose. Yeah. And to be fair, they're not exactly cheap, are they? So if you're going to invest, you've got to do a good amount of research to make sure you cover all those points. That's right. You know, rebreathers are a reasonable investment, don't get me wrong, and they have a quite a large upfront cost. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's right. Um, but it really depends on what type of diving you're going to do with your rebreather. Mm. Um, for example, I can give you some calculations where if you do 50 dives at 60 meters on an appropriate percentage trimix mix, you own your rebreather. Really? Or you could have paid for a rebreather outright. You know, for example, you know, an 18% 18, an 18 oxygen, 45% helium twin set fill. Yeah, which is a common fill used for dives to 60 meters, um, retails between $200 and $300. And that's not inclusive of decompression gases, yeah. um, which an open circuit diver uses on every dive, yeah. where a rebreather diver carries with them, but doesn't necessarily use, unless there's a rebreather problem and they have to use open circuit bailout to the surface. Yeah. But when you factor those things in, you know, doing deep open circuit trimix diving doesn't make a lot of sense compared to CCR diving. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. And um, I mean, we're talking about sixty meters there. Are these are these things limitless on the depth that you can go? They are um, out of the box without any modifications. Most rebreathers are quite capable of doing dives more than 100 meters. Mm. Um, the JJCCR certainly is. The Dive Soft Liberties certainly are as well. Mm. Um, numerous others um, without any other 
yeah, sort of addition, except for changing the diluent gas that you use. Yeah. So the diluent gas in a rebreather gives you its maximum operating depth. Okay. You know, you can adjust this in the fill before you dive and that will dictate how deep you can go. Yeah, yeah. And changing the you mentioned the um the, the scrubber, the uh lime crystals, yeah. all that kind of thing. How often does that need to be changed? Is it done by time or is it done by the amount of dives? It's done by time. Mm-hmm. So most scrubber duration so most scrubbers give a four to six hour durate dive time. Mm-hmm. Um but this is um, affected by numerous factors. It's a, it's affected by the type of scrubber that's available. Um, there are two different types of scrubbers. One's called an axial scrubber where the flow is bottom to top and another one where the flow is inside to out or outside to in, I must say. Outside to in. Okay. Um, and the outside to in radial scrubbers are more efficient than the bottom to top axial scrubbers and mm. units that use radial scrubber allow slightly longer time. Mm. Um, it's also affected by moisture um, and temperature. Okay. So diving in quite cold water, um, the reaction inside the scrubber produces heat. It's an exothermic reaction when it removes the carbon dioxide and it takes more energy, more effort at cold or in colder water than it does in warmer water. Oh, wow. So if you're diving in colder water, you know, the scrubber time is slightly less than if you were diving in warmer water. Mm. Um, and then it also is pr- most overly affected by breathing rate. So if you're breathing very heavily and you're producing more carbon dioxide, your scrubber will last for a shorter period of time than it would if you were at rest. Yeah. So usually scrubber protocols are very conservative because a lot of these things are very difficult to measure. You know, you can't accurately measure expired CO2. Um, You can't, you know, you can't accurately, you can accurately measure temperature, Mm. um, but you can't accurately measure how, what what scrubber time is remaining on your rebreather scrubber. So it's very important that rebreather divers follow stringent scrubber time limits. Okay. And that, those limits have got built-in um, safety factors or you add That's them right. to it? No. So the, the, the scrubber durations are often are factory set. Okay. And they vary from rebreather to rebreather um, based on um, their approved testing. Mm. Um, and you shouldn't overuse or go above the manufacturer's recommend, recommendation for the rebreather. Yeah, yeah. Happy days. Well, we'll come back round to the rebreathers. We do need to mention, and I'm dying to mention it, is um, you, you're teaching under RAID. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, well, hopefully, um, me and Paul have been trying, Paul Toomer, we've been trying to get it lined up so we can jump back on the podcast again, but um, he's obviously a bit busy at the moment. But RAID abolishing um, annual subscriptions for dive professionals and dive centres yeah both what a move it's huge it's it's industry changing yeah um you know huge kudos to paul and the team for for going down this path you know they're the first like they were the first agency to to have removed fees Mm. um and 
they, it, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, hopefully that leads to a much bigger influx of instructors um, and facilities that are often sort of priced out yeah. um, from memberships um, coming over to raid. Yeah. Um, I, w- I was thinking about it on my way in here um, on the on the long walk from home, all of a K. Um, but it's it's done so much for those dive professionals because when you think about the industry as a whole, it's not a money making industry by far. Definitely you know, is not. If you're a dive professional, you're in it because you love it, not because of the money. And nine times out of ten, it's the dive professionals that are struggling to get by and eating, I don't know, 7-Eleven pot noodles because they don't get paid enough money. And then the dive operators are also, you know, against the wall because they're having to try and reduce prices to be competitive to get the customers in. It's a never-ending cycle. So once a year, and I've been there, you know, especially if you're a multi-agency instructor and you're having to pay two or three agencies of annual subscriptions, it hurts. It hurts. So to give that freedom back to the dive professionals and given the current circumstance where so many people have had to leave the industry and go back to effectively reality and and nine-to-five jobs, it makes it very difficult for those people to return to the dive life that they had in the past because they're now more settled in in reality. So there's going to be a lack of dive professionals in the industry as a whole. So just that one move of removing those fees for the operator gives them a little bit of breathing space for the dive professional those youngsters that are coming through and trying to learn and wanted to you know enter into the industry what a way to do it we're not going to take your money off you but we're going to teach you let's get you going 100 percent. i couldn't agree more i think it's the best move i've ever seen in in the dive industry in the time i've been in it it's fantastic uh, the support we've had from raid from the beginning um especially um at, and, and our shop, Total Immersion Diving, is, especially from Paul Toomer and um, Steve Bates, other people associated with Dive Raid around the country, has been, has been really huge. Yeah. Um, we started off as, I suppose, finger quotes, the small guys. <laughs> um, you know, we already are, are interested in, a, in an area that is considerably niche. Yeah. You know, in terms of uh, the diving industry, Technical diving is a very small part, and CCR diving is a small part of technical diving. Mm. Um, and having the having the support from Raid um, to help us get going, um, and then now the support without um, having to pay membership fees is is yeah, is 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 very impressive and very appreciated. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, hopefully, we'll get we'll get Paul back on in the new year. And uh, we can talk all the way through it because I know he's had to keep his lips tightly sealed on the thing until it was launched last week. Was it last week they launched that or the week before? The week before. Yeah, two weeks. Happy days. And um, so, total immersion. How long um, How long has it been operating now? What's the, when, what's the way forward? About six or seven years. Nice. Yeah, but officially for six or seven years. So, prior to that... Um, we were sort of we still provided sort of support for you know the technical divers in our area just non-officially yep. um, and then as our network grew and our community of divers starting to grow um, the shop really stemmed and formed from the community need and what's uh, and what's the way forward where are you going to go with it are you going to stay 
relatively local and small key or are you going to explode oh (laughs) (laughs) who knows you know um total immersion diving um is is set up to to be one of the most technical friendly and rebreather friendly places in new south wales Mm. Um, we've been the most active rebreather training center in new south wales for over two years um and quite an active technical training facility as well. Yeah. Um, we do have some exciting news on the horizon that I can't share with you just yet. Oh, come on. You, can't, um, you can't tease like that. That's totally. Uh, yes, I can. But <laughs> stay, stay, stay tuned. And um, there, are some, there are some exciting things um, that we've got planned. Um, I suppose something, um, like something to consider has been, you know, during COVID, um, people haven't been able to travel internationally for rebreather training and sort of technical diver training as much as they had been able to in the past. Mm. Um, and I think in the last two years, it has really helped move our business forwards. Yeah. Um, people are now sort of more appreciative and understanding that there are high level places that you can come and get training domestically. Um, and I think we've we've really seen that we've had great support over the last two years um, during COVID. For example, you know, in, in the year to date, I've taught more than twenty JJCC new JJCCR divers. Really, um, previous year to date was the same, um, and that was less pre-COVID. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, now that the that there is more momentum for rebreather and technical training domestically Mm. um really keeps this going forwards yeah yeah hey one thing i did want to before i forget i want to give you a a virtual high five slap on the back whatever you want to call it um maybe a hangover again next time i see you but um you you haven't reduced your prices to the customer for your courses and this was something was it uh yeah it was the last episode graham williams uh, Graham Willis, we were talking about how, you know, competitive pricing, all that kind of thing makes it um, a bit of an issue where people have to have, <coughs> excuse me, more and more customers in a, in, a, in a course. And I remember you mentioning, and I mentioned it in the last episode, that you, you don't reduce the prices and you focus more on the, quanti- uh, the quality of the training That's that you right. provide. Um, if anything, Matt, like I think our prices have actually increased over the last two years. Good. Um, and it comes down to a real commitment to give people a good service. Mm. You know, for example, we teach all courses from open water through to, you know, recreational specialties, through to technical diving, through to CCR diving. Mm. Um, for example, our open water course has a maximum of four people. They're all taught in backplate and wings with long hoses, um, I suppose, in a DIR or technical style configuration from the beginning and the course goes over three days they spend an entire day in the pool they have four ocean dives that are generally an hour long each yeah that's substantially more um, than the sort of industry standard or more minimum Mm. most people seem to use standards as in minimum like um, the minimum that I need to achieve to do it yeah not that this is the lowest you can teach somebody to yeah you know if, if you know what i mean yeah you know we're constantly trying to you know 
show people that you sort of you get what you pay for in the dive industry you know we don't prescribe to the 10 people on the bottom kneeling in a semicircle doing some skills in the first five minutes of their dive and then going for a short 20 minute tour and hopping out and calling it a scuba dive yeah you know i think something that we really strive towards is having people who are regular divers after um you know, we're a sort of a local community-focused dive shop rather than a tourist dive location. You know, we don't really cater to the, you know, to the tourist-type divers who are coming here for a weekend experience and then leaving. Yeah. Um, our focus is really on building divers that stay divers, Yeah. you know. Um, and I suppose a good example of that is, you know, numerous people who I've taught from open water diving – taught all the way through to open circuit technical diving and now JJCCR divers. Mm. And they're all homegrown, you know, locally produced raid divers yeah. um, who are, you know, hopefully coming through with our sort of diving mentality and, you know, understand and appreciate about being good divers rather than just I can go down the road and get it for $300 or 250 or wherever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think an overarching thing is that divers don't know what they don't know. Yeah. You know, when you come into scuba diving at the beginning as an open water diver, you know, you're, you're just doing a standard product comparison like you would on the internet. Yeah. You know, you're getting an open water certification from me, you're getting an open water certification from somebody down the road, but mine is three times the price and people just go down the road. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, just because they don't know. And That's right. Yeah, it is what it is, unfortunately. Um, but hopefully, um, airing it like this and putting it out there on social media and people get to understand why that price and that value is there. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, for example, in, you know, all of our recreational courses, they're all a maximum one to four, though the allowable standard is one to ten. Yeah. Um, our technical diving courses are maximum one to three. Um, and our rebreather diving courses are maximum one to two. Yeah, yeah, bob on. That's exactly what you want. You don't want to be part of the factory turnover, do you? Oh, look, I, I, and uh, I suppose <clears throat> it is part of the benefit um, of diving not being my sole focus. Mm. Um, and like you said, we don't necessarily have to try and just make money. Mm. Um, you know, where we do we do this because we love doing it. You yeah. know, if we didn't love doing it, we wouldn't do it. I really enjoy technical diving. I enjoy, well, I enjoy all types of diving, but you know, a big driver to teaching technical diving for me is to building buddies. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's often, you know, when I was technical diving as a beginner, it was hard to find people to fill dive boats mm. and, you know, you had to wait around and you had to book a couple of months in advance and try and scavenge enough people around to, to go and do those dives. But now that we've built the community here ourselves, you know, we can fill dive boats of technical divers every day of the week, you know, and that means I get to go and dive more. Yeah. I get to go and do more cool wrecks. I get to go and do more <laughs> cave dives and I don't have to try and find a buddy. It's wonderful. Yeah. Jeff said exactly the same. He's teaching people just so he's got more buddies. <laughs> That's right. I suppose, you know, you don't get to the, the stage that Jeff has without being truly passionate about the sport. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're, if you're not the, 
technical dives are challenging dives. You know, they're, they take a lot of preparation. They can be physically challenging. They can be mentally challenging. Um, and if you're not passionate about it, those, those factors would quickly take over. G'day listeners, Rod the producer here. I hope you're enjoying the show. Just like to give a quick shout out to Toby and the Behind the Mask team who are flying the flag in support of petitioning the EU to ban shark finning throughout Europe. We hope you can find two minutes to sign the petition and replicate the success seen in Great Britain earlier this year. Click on the link in the show notes or go to the Behind the Mask social media links to sign the petition. Thanks in advance and thanks for supporting Scuba Goat this year. Have a great Christmas, and we'll see you in 2022. I saw you had, um, I saw a photo go up on, oh, it must have been this week or last week, one of the two, but there was Joe and uh, Mahandri. Um, Mahendra. Mahandra, yeah, Mahandra, yeah. I uh, saw him pop up up there. Um, it was a novelty to see him wearing, uh, wearing his scuba gear and, and, you know, not shirtless doing press-ups in his CCR. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, very much so. No, they came up for a bit, and they're doing a JJ decompression course. Okay, and that was at um, Nelson Bay Fly Point or something like that, was it? Yeah. So the course starts off with just shallow skills things. Yeah. You know, working on divers handling multiple stage cylinders. Yeah. Um, and then sort of getting their skills refined for the for the deeper ocean dives. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, mate. That's amazing. I love recording on a Friday. <laughs> we're um, me and the missus are actually popping up to um, where are we going? Oh, Seal Rocks uh, in January. We're spending the weekend up on uh, uh, some apartment or cottage that she's rented, and then going to do Nelson uh, as well. It's the first time I've never done Fly Point yet, and I've been told. Oh, it's hit, like hit the, me up when you're down, and yeah, I'll show you around. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, well, we're there for the weekend, and I think the idea is to dive uh, Seal Rock on the Saturday, and then on the Sunday do Nelson Bay, Fly Point, that kind of area, and then it yeah. leaves us leaves us free for driving back on the on the Monday. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I'll give you a help. That'd be that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the I think one of the things that is a bit off putting for CCR divers initially is the concept just that CCR diving is only for deep divers. And it is definitely undeniable that CCRs provide a huge advantage in the deep related to their economical gas consumption. Mm. But I think people really forget and discard the other benefits that a CCR has in recreation to recreational divers and in recreational depths. And like a lot of those include primarily the fact that there are no bubbles. Yeah. So, you know, your rebreather produces no bubbles. Open circuit divers produce a heap. Mm. And they're so noisy. Yeah. Right? You, when you're diving around on a CCR in a group of other CCR divers, you get a really great appreciation of how quiet everything is. You know, you can hear the sounds of the ocean, not just the sounds of this whistling regulator over next to you. <laughs> But the other thing that then leads to is really cool interactions with wildlife, um, especially for, you know, recreational photographers in the 10 to 20 meter range. Mm. You know, for example, you know, if you've ever gone diving with a grey nurse shark or, you know, sharks of many other species, um, 
if you swim up to them and blow a stream of bubbles, they turn their head on you and swim to the side. Yeah. These type of things don't happen on CCRs, you know, when you're controlling your loot volume appropriately. Um, you know, I've had numerous experiences with different types of sharks where you're so close that you could pluck a hook out of their teeth mm. or, you know, touch them on the side. And obviously, we don't touch wildlife, but you're so close that you can, um, you know, for photos of, you know, shark eyes in close-up, mm. you know, and things like that are just not possible on open circuit scuba. Uh, what about that? Um, a good example is that video you posted with the dolphin. That's right. Yeah, so we had a, I had a fantastic experience a couple of months ago. Um, a couple of months ago, a wild dolphin um, appeared at a local dive site called Swansea Bridge. Mm. Um, Swansea Bridge is a very tidal dive site. Um, it's, the en- it's at the entry to a, a channel to Lake Macquarie. Um, lots of water moves through there. And because of that, lots of nutrients. And it's like then it's an aquarium. Yeah. You know, lots of big fish, big schooling fish. It's, it's, it's a wonderful dive site. And a couple of months in, months ago, divers were sort of reporting that they were seeing a dolphin swimming around hmm. and that every now and again, they'd get a little bit of a glimpse of it where the dolphin would swim into view, sort of come close to you and swim away. Yeah. Um, I had an experience and I was actually teaching a Ray JJ program. Some guys were down from Gladstone for their from in Queensland for their last for their last dives. Mm. And we did a dive at Swansea Bridge and we met the dolphin at about 18 meters and it just stayed. So because we weren't blowing the bubbles and blowing it away, it was really interested in us as other sort of animals, I suppose you could call it, under the water with it. Mm. And it was coming up, looking at us in the eye. It would gently bump me and prod me to the side, you know, to see what sort of reaction it could get. Yeah. And it would go up to the surface, disappear for 10 seconds, and then come straight back down. Yeah. It was really interested in the sounds that my bailout cylinder was making touching the rocks okay. um, and things like that next to me. And I took my bailout cylinder off and I clipped it onto a line out in front. And there's a really cool part of the video where the dolphin is pushing the bailout cylinder up the line, <laughs> you know, generally just playing with it and interacting with it. Yeah. And the dolphin stayed with us for nearly an hour. Jesus. So, you know, I've got 45 minutes of raw footage of the dolphin consistently just swimming around, playing, going up to the surface, coming down. Yeah. And the cool thing that I think that led to is the fact that the dolphin now is much more approach like is much more willing to approach divers under the water. And the dolphin has actually stayed around the dive site for the last few months. Okay. Um, perhaps is now calling it home, um, but the divers frequently see it. And it mm. started with the CCR divers seeing it more and more frequently and having longer duration of interactions. Yeah. And that has now moved on to open circuit divers. So it will now come up and sort of, you know, maybe spend a minute with an open circuit diver. Um, but we can still go diving with it and scooter around with it and things like that for half an hour on end. Really? It's a phenomenal experience, but all driven by the different type of apparatus compared to open circuit diving. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, all the years I've been diving open circuit, you, you are limited on how close you can get to a particular species. Um, they're very twitchy. Oh, absolutely. Mm, mm. Even diving in um, in Papua New Guinea, where you know shitloads of sharks around you, but they don't come super close. And it's it is it's just down to that uh, that noise, I think. On rebreathers, they come uncomfortably close. <laughs> 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 you know, like you can give me a little bit of distance, you know? <laughs> but even things like just swimming into balls of fish, yeah. you know, as you tend to swim into a ball of fish, the fish sort of open mm. and you sort of swim into the middle of them and they close behind you, Yeah, you know, where on open circuit diving, you sort of just blow them away, Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And they sort of disperse. Big schools of you barracuda know. come to mind when you say that. The amount of time, yeah, you, see it you know, all that type of thing is just is so awesome, right? Yeah, you know, and I think there there are there are numerous other advantages that a rebreather provides a diver in a recreational environment. You know, for example, because that scrubber is producing warm gas, you're warmer. Really? Absolutely. The gas on a rebreather is both warm and moist because one of the byproducts of scrubbing the carbon dioxide out of the scrubber is some water vapor. Okay. So, you know, when you breathe on your regulator that comes from a beautifully triple filtered compressor, you have two breaths on it and your mouth is disgustingly dry. Yeah. You don't get that horrible dry mouth feeling diving a rebreather and at the same time are much warmer. You know, for example because we you know, regularly chop and change between rebreather and open circuit diving for, you know, for instructing all my fun diving and personal diving is always on a rebreather. Yeah. Um, but if I wear my dry suit in the same, um, the same undergarment layers in the same temperature water, I'm noticeably colder diving my twin set than I am diving my open, like diving my rebreather. Really? And I tend to layer up a little bit more diving my twin set than I do diving my rebreather. Interesting. And I, I think that that's something that is definitely underappreciated. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never have even considered that. Like I would su- suggest that it is probably in the effect of maybe one to two degrees in water temperature, in terms of how it feels to me. That's big. You know. Yeah. It was huge. Yeah. You know, and especially I, I suppose you know because now you're diving a rebreather. You can be under the water for a significantly longer period of time than you can on normal open circuit diving, mm. obviously depth dependent. Um, that that increased heat makes a huge difference to how long you're comfortable diving for on a rebreather compared to doing long open circuit diving. Definitely, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, like I say I'm going to do Shelly Beach tomorrow, and it's at the moment I think the water temperature is somewhere between 21 and 23. And even though right. the missus is on a seven mil, I know yep. 45, 50 minutes in, she's going to be freezing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Maybe I'll have to send her up there and get some CCR training. <laughs> oh, mate, you're more than more than happy to come up and 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 teach us some JJ stuff. Yeah. You know, when it whenever you want to. Um. And I suppose probably, you know, one of the last things that people forget about CCRs in the shallows is they're constantly blending you the best mix nitrox. So instead of 
you having a set percent of oxygen mm. in your 32% in your back or your 36 or your 40 or whatever you dive, mm-hmm. your partial pressure is then changing as you get deeper and changing as you ascend, right? Yeah. And that leads to a small increase in no decompression limit time. Yeah. Wherever on a rebreather, we set a set partial pressure of oxygen and your rebreather changes the concentration of oxygen or percentage oxygen in your rebreather at any particular depth to give you the perfect nitrox blend at any depth you were at for the entire duration of your dive. Gotcha. Right? So because of that, the no decompression time on a rebreather in 15 to 30 meters is exceptional. Yeah. You can do really, really long rebreather dives in that 20 to 30 meter range before you come close to your no decompression limit. Yeah. Yeah. And we spend a lot of time as technical divers talking about, you know, decompression time and things like that. But a big advantage is not going into decompression in the first place. Yeah, for sure. You know, you know, decompression is inherently dangerous. It gives you a, you know, a, a virtual, you know, ceiling that you can't ascend past, mm-hmm. which has issues and considerations for emergency practices and things like that. Yeah. You know, the ability to be on a rebreather and do wonderfully long dives, but without exceeding your NDL time mm. is re- is really cool. You know, for example, one of my favorite wrecks in the world is the Lermontov wreck in New Zealand, um, which is sunk off the top of the South Island. It's in a little bay called Port Gore. Mm-hmm. And it was a cruise liner that tried to take a little shortcut, <laughs> cut a big hole in the hull, came into the bay um, and sunk on its side in quite shallow water. So the maximum depth of the Lermontov is about 36 metres. Mm-hmm. The top of the deck is in about 15 metres. Um, and on a rebreather, you can spend such a long time exploring this wreck without the huge decompression penalty, yeah, you know, that you might get on open circuit, that you would definitely get on open circuit, mm. um, and that you would obviously get if you if the wreck was deeper. Um, but, you know, especially when you're talking about going and doing wreck penetrations um, in these moderately deep wrecks or mm. moderately deep caves, um, you've already got the complication of having an overhead environment layering on top of an overhead environment significant decompression penalty yeah you know is a dual combination that is you know quite complicated and can be quite stressful for people yeah yeah but on a rebreather you know we were doing some dives between 90 minutes and two hours the water temperature is quite cold there it's 12 degrees Oof. um so you definitely appreciate your nice moist breath <laughs> you know moist breath or warm breathing gas mm. um and then on a lot of those dives, we were only having sort of 10 to 15 minutes decompression. Really? You know, after a 90-minute to two-hour dive. And it depends on how long you stay towards the bottom part for. Yeah, yeah. Um, but over the course of a multi-level dive, really being able to take advantage of, you know, the best mix gas, best mix gas at every depth is, is yeah, it's hugely advantageous. 
Yeah, I, I, I knew. I knew there was water divers in recreation. Yeah, I knew there was benefits, but hearing it that way, it, it just makes it that much more clear. Without yeah, having to absolutely. worry about your NDLs. That's right. Mm. And I, and, and yeah. you know, for for me, being a photographer, that makes a huge. It's a, it's a massive benefit. I can't. I, I can't. I can't even count how many times I've been having to snap a photo and check my computer and snap a photo and check my computer because I'm just running out of time. Yep, that's uh, right. Bloody hell. You know, rebreathers have, you know, a lot of, yeah, a, a, a really a lot of, you know, unforeseen benefits or unappreciated, unappreciated benefits, mm. you know, when they just get lumped in as a, I'm a really deep diver or I yeah. only do long technical decompression dives, so I'm the only type of person who, who needs a rebreather. You know, we've seen a huge uptake um, of rebreathers, especially in people who are not interested in diving deep, in quotation marks. Yeah. You know, who are, who are really only keen on diving in recreational depth limits, but just for longer period of time, and you know, utilizing their benefits in terms of their photography, mm, yeah, you know, yeah, and and you know, all those 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 things that go along with that. Yeah, I was talking to a guy. Um, oh yeah, it's, everything seems two weeks ago at the moment, but yeah, two weeks ago, Remy and I forget his surname. I'm I'm crap with surnames, um, but Remy is an exceptionally good cameraman. You know, his photos are, are fantastic, and he always dives on the rebreather. And you can you can just see it in the photos because of that vicinity, you know that that how close he's getting to the subject he's taking the shot of. Um, are there other advantages? Are there other advantages? Um, that probably covers the majority of them. Um, looking 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 awesome. Looking awesome is definitely <laughs> that's the only reason we dive, right? You know. Had numerous comments of getting out of dives, like, you know, shore dives, walking up, like coming out of the water on a rebreather. The first thing, you know, people see is is the loop. Yeah. Right? You know, you don't see a regulator, but you see a loop. Yeah. And it looks very military, space age, specialist. Yeah, 007. You know, <laughs> yeah. And, you, and, that, and that's the comment, right? You know, like, oh, are you guys military? Or, you know, you look really cool. What's going on? What is this? And, you know, quite often just by, you know, have like doing the rebreather prep, setting the rebreather up on the side, you know, where it'd be at a dive site or something like that, you know, mm. people walking past are always really engaged with it. Yeah. You know, you don't often get those same questions when you're just putting a normal scuba tank together, but people are interested in rebreathers because, you know, they don't see them as regularly and, you know, they're always very surprised about, you know, the duration and the time and mm. um, and things like that that you get, you know, compared to normal open circuit diving. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it is that um, – it's not a shadow. It's just the unknowing, isn't it? I mean, if you if you don't talk to someone like yourself, and Jeff touched on it really well, and it's, people start in technical diving just through – talking over a beer or talking at the end of a dive that's inquiring right. you don't you know, know what you there. don't know yeah so getting all this information from you now it might enlighten a few more people um to the uh, the mysteries of the, the the dude walking out the water looking like james bond <laughs> that's right so why don't we talk about how people get into ccr diving do it do it there are a few obviously you need to do a ccr course 
Um, and CCRs are targeted for people who are generally already experienced open circuit divers. Yeah. Um, for the main consideration that if you have to bail out off your rebreather, you need a strong open circuit foundation to bring you to the surface, yeah. right? But something that I think is forgotten on especially experienced technical divers making a transition and it's less lost on sort of, you know, younger, fresher divers making an experience to, um, to CCR diving is that open circuit skills don't equate to CCR diving skills. So the, the fundamental buoyancy control and the way that you operate a CCR is dramatically different to that of open circuit gas, yeah. right? Because the gas volume is all encapsulated and is one, your lungs are one with the loop, if you will, mm -hmm. when you breathe in and out, your buoyancy doesn't change. Yeah. Right? If you're negatively buoyant and you breathe in, you're still negatively buoyant. Yeah. If you're positively buoyant and you breathe out, you're still positively buoyant. Right. But, but if you lose bubbles when clearing your mask, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> which I found out when I first had a go. <laughs> That's right. So you, you learn the process of what's called controlling the loop volume mm -hmm. and making adjustments to how much gas is in the loop to control your buoyancy. Yeah, But it's a steep learning curve. And often divers who are more experienced open circuit divers and are much more ingrained in using their breath control for buoyancy find the CCR diving transition more difficult. Really? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you've got a diver who's done thousands of open circuit dives and they're so refined in their breath, the buoyancy via breath control. Yeah. CCR diving can be challenging. It's not always the case, but it can be more challenging. Yeah. And I think what it really highlights to me is the need for people to progress through their CCR diving more slowly. So when CCRs were originally invented, they were invented as a tool for deep divers. Therefore, it allowed divers who were experienced open circuit deep divers to directly move across to the same depth level on a rebreather or start at an already sort of moderately deep re level on their rebreather. Yeah. However, there's a lot of fundamental issues with that. You know, you're essentially giving somebody a tool that they don't implicitly know how to control and saying, I can do deep dives. Mm-hmm. Dive Raid in particular um, have really been a leader in terms of the training standards for CCR divers and bringing people back a peg to learning their rebreather and fully understanding their rebreather in more shallower water and controlled conditions before allowing them to progress through to deep and decompression diving that other agencies allow as the starting point. Yeah. You know, and for me as a rebreather instructor, I really feel that I can help people hone their control experience um, on the rebreather in the shallows 
And then when we come to do, and then after, you know, you've gone away and developed a solid CCR diving foundational basis, that when we come to teach you how to do decompression dives on your CCR, I can teach you all the tips and tricks on how to actually utilize the CCR for efficient decompression rather than teach you all the basics whilst you're doing decompression, mm. right? And there's, I think the, you know, our, our industry hasn't quite got a grasp of that concept, right? You know, Raid is definitely leading the way, um, but I would certainly encourage other CCR instructors um, to, whilst even though the standards that your agency set may suggest that you can teach a diver decompression diving on a CCR straight away, whether that is the most beneficial thing for the diver learning the CCR. It does actually sound quite mental to me, quite honestly. Just just te teaching at depth straight away. It just, I completely agree with you. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know, and Raid has been really at the forefront of pushing the change. Mm. You know, guys like Paul Toomer, Jeffrey Glenn, who's a huge mentor of mine, mm. um, John Wilson at Bay City Scuba is another RAID JJCCR instructor in Australia. Mm. You know, all of these guys are really pushing what we like to call the modern diver. Yeah. You know, bringing people on earlier, giving them the right foundation and then helping them to progress through their diving. And it doesn't take the same amount of time to develop your foundation on a CCR what, now that you're already, a, you know, a, a, a good diver. Mm. You know, it's not like learning open circuit, like learning open circuit from the very beginning. Yeah. You know, you've got an understanding of what buoyancy is. You've got an understanding of what PPO2 is. You've got an understanding of the physiological effects that happen when you're diving. And the transition is a lot quicker. Mm. But I think just their argument is that it shouldn't be rushed. You know, and you should take the time to develop the proper foundational basis before moving on. Mm. And, um, you know, you commented earlier that you saw, you know, you had a couple of, that I had a couple of guys doing some JJ decompression training up last weekend. Yeah. Both of those divers who were on the course with me then were homegrown raid trained divers mm. from raid open water. Yeah. And, you know, whilst if you were to look at their diving experience holistically, they're very fresh divers. Yeah. You know, in the range of between 100 to 100 and or between 100 and 200 dives. Okay. Um, their foundational skills are really honed on their JJCCR programs on their foundational level. And then they went ahead and they built the hours on their unit. And now they're at approximately 50 hours each, yeah. which is not a lot of scuba diving, right? You know, like most scuba divers who are pretty keen on scuba diving could knock out 50 dives quite quickly yeah um and now progressing into deep diving um and those complicated things like handling more than one bailout cylinder because if we're doing decompression we might need a gas to bail out on at the bottom and we might also need a decompression gas you know handling multiple stage cylinders is complicated Decompression diving also, you know, and that at that rebreather level um, gives you a more comprehensive approach on how to handle CCR failures in terms of, 
utilizing gas that you carry, so utilizing that offboard gas, but plumbing it into your rebreather to use on board. So you can feed that extra gas into your rebreather okay. and continue to use it in your rebreather. Um, they're more challenging, complicating, complicated skills to learn. But because they've taken time and built the hours in the foundational basis, they're picking these skills up really quickly. Mm. Um, you know, and it's really showing in their course dives. You know, we're not having to do extra course dives because they need more skill refinement. Yeah. You know, the course their their skills are already refined and now they're progressing them through. Yeah, and they're not trying to rush through, just tick the boxes and get further qualifications without getting the uh, fun dives effectively and getting that experience right. and time in the water. And not, That's right. And also giving them an understanding that the rebreathers are challenging pieces of technology. Mm. They can be dangerous without the right training. Yeah. Um, and a more holistic attitude in terms of their rebreather diving development rather than, I already know how to technical dive, so... I can do the same dives on my rebreather straight away. Yeah. You know, it's definitely not the case and highly encourage people to go through their rebreather training systematically, mm. just like they would their open circuit training. Yeah. You know, just because you put CCR in front of it or technical in front of it doesn't mean you can skip the queue. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're an right? expert straight away, does it? <laughs> That's right. You know? And it's, uh, it, I think it's, it's something that definitely plagues our CCR diving industry and we see it even locally and you know in sydney and surrounds you know people going too deep too quick yeah and having accidents and issues yeah and that's how ccr diving inherently gets a bad name mm. right but by bringing them all the way back moving them through so far we haven't had any divers had any have have an issue mm. um and fingers crossed that remains to be the case um but providing divers with a, a good foundational basis and skills and uh a sort of defined progression, um, yeah, is, is definitely the way forward, in my opinion. For sure, 100%. I think if you've got that foundation, you've got that base, and it it, it, it becomes a second nature, um, personal, um, what's the other word for foundation? Um, standard. That's right. You know, so it doesn't matter where you go in the world. You can, you can be with the shoddiest dive operator in the world that says, slap your tank on and get in the water, chow, chow, see you later. You'll have the balls to be able to say, hold on a minute, princess, I need to do this before I go any further. Um, and I think that's one thing that's actually quite lacking in several, or lots of, lots of locations across the world. It's just people having that confidence to say, hold on, no, I'm doing this my way. Agreed. Uh, and you've, the only way you're going to get that confidence to do that is by having that foundation in training. That's right. And it's kudos to Dive Raid for pushing it and, yeah. and my other colleagues for, you know, for really standing fast and saying that this is the, the new way forward. And mm. just because other instructors may teach you decompression CCR straight away, we will not. Yeah. 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 Hats off. So you mentioned um, other, di uh, other instructors of the JJCCR. Is there many of you in Australia? Um, yeah. There, there, is a, there is a few... Um, JJCCR instructors in Australia. Um, there's, I think, there's about six um, scattered over the country. Okay. So, like, you wouldn't say that is a lot. No. <laughs> you know, when you when you consider, okay, there's, oh, how x a many thousand open circuit, open water instructors there are. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of our, you know, our wonderful like Ray JJCCR team in Australia. You know, there's Jeffrey Jeffrey. 
Glenn, who's up in Brisbane, yep. the Gold Coast. Um, I cover a lot of the stuff that happens in Newcastle and Sydney, New South Wales. Um, and John Wilson from Bay City Scuba in Melbourne, um, you know, really, like, really driving it home down there. Yeah, yeah. That's all good. And just to clarify, those people that are listening that, that are usually, you know, Paddy or SSI or something like that, Raid um, is clearly another agency. Um, but it is born out of the understanding of the technical aspect of training. So you get in, in my opinion, and I can say it because I'm multi-agency, I, I think you get in a more detailed um, educational system through Raid. I think something that people don't also know about RAID is that the initial acronym of RAID was Rebreathers Association of International Divers. Mm -hmm. So at its core, RAID really has technical diving and, you know, especially CCRs and rebreathers that they've expanded that sort of love out into the recreational realm. Yeah. Um, but it's it's still there technically in the behind the name. Yeah, yeah. And like you say, I mean, it, it, you know, even doing the open waters, you can see when there's a RAID course um and again you, you a raid course that's taught correctly um you know you've got to have a, a good instructor to do it but um the trim of beginners is usually pretty shoddy but the majority of raid open water divers they come out pretty cool after four or five dives a lot better than most and and again like you know like i said before it's you know it's kudos to the guys like paul tumor you know, Steve Bates, PJ Prinsloo in South Africa, Steve Lewis, you yeah. know, all those guys who have come from other agencies and, you know, were prior to raid, you know, quite high up in their respective agencies. Yeah. You know, really come together with a with a common mindset and a common goal of where, you know, where we feel scuba diving should be moving forward in the future. Yeah. And providing a, a, a really good foundational basis for other you know, raid instructors such as myself, um, you know, other local raid dive centers to, to really push that forwards. Yeah, yeah. And the overwhelming end result is safer diving. And at the end of the day, we all want to enjoy the sport and safety is number one. Have fun, don't die. <laughs> yeah. Um, mate, I think we'll round it off there and, um, and call it a day. It's... Um, in fact, the pub will be open in a moment, so I'll be able to get another top up. <laughs> no, sounds sounds good, mate. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show and explaining all that, uh, all those complexities to us. And um, next time I'm up in Newcastle, probably in the new year, we'll um, we'll have a catch up and have another beer, eh? That would be awesome, mate. Happy days. Be awesome catch up. Um, for those people that are listening in, if you want to get in touch with Ryan, you can get him by his website, uh, Facebook. Not so much on Instagram. What's the <laughs> what's the easiest way to get you, mate? Is it through the website or through Facebook? Through Facebook primarily at Total Immersion Diving. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, our, our website at www.totalimmersiondiving.com.au. Happy days. And if you get in there quick and book something for the new year, then uh, you might get a, a scuba goat mass strap as well. I'll send you a few up, Ryan. You. <laughs> have a good christmas mate and this is going to round off our uh, season two of scuba goat uh, so we'll wish all our fantastic listeners a very merry christmas and a fantastic new year stay safe everybody thanks for listening thanks for having me mate cheers buddy this is scuba goat under the sea the podcast for the inquisitive diver